right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're progressing right along. We're past the midway point in our gospel here. We're actually in the last chapter of this one section, chapter 7 through 12, which is really talking about how Jesus was rejected and why he was rejected. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, about the continued rejection, but also about why people are excited about Jesus. And we're going to see that it's, it really is because of an issue of perspective. What do you mean by that, George? Well, it's because of the perspective that people have about Jesus. And you see that all around you right now. When you talk about Jesus in any kind of a crowd, you're going to have some people say some interesting things. Do you know what I'm saying? They're going to tell you some things that are just really off the wall, off the top of their head, kind of crazy. I think about, you know, back when I was in college, right after I got saved, I was an engineering student at the University of South Carolina, and I had a job being a lab technician for a cardiologist at the School of Medicine there. What does that do, George? Well, that means I clean up after him and whatever his experiments were. And so he did experimentation for heart research. So I would clean up after his surgeries and all that stuff. But I remember one time we had a, they had a Thanksgiving dinner or what, I mean, a luncheon or something. And uh, we were sitting there having discussion. And this guy says, this is the doctor, head of the Department of Physiology says, I believe, and you, you always get that, I believe that when we die, we get bleamed, whatever bleamed is, okay, bleamed to some other part of the universe. And you have to start walking back. I'm just telling you, this is an educated man telling me this, walking back. And the reason why nobody showed up yet, it's a long walk. Okay, wow, so you hear that kind of stuff, right? Okay, you kind of hear, you've heard crazy stuff like that, right? Okay, yeah, I know that was really crazy, okay? But that guy's working on heart research, or did then, okay? That was 30 years ago. People have their perspectives. Now, why is that? Well, it's because of the way we approach things. So let's talk about our approach for a moment. We approach our interactions with presuppositions. We approach all of our interactions with presuppositions. What do you mean? Okay, so if I walk into any place here in Clearfield County, and let's say if I go and, and there's a secretary or something, if they're a smiley person, I have a presupposition, this is going to go okay. But if they've got a mean scowl on their face, oh no, what am I in for? That's a presupposition, right? Okay. When we interact with each other, we have presuppositions about what it's going to be like interacting with them. So a lot of times people will have this presupposition about me because, you know, George is serious. He doesn't laugh a lot. It's, he's just a hard nut to crack. Well, no, I'm just German, okay? That's just, the way. if you've met my mother, it would explain a lot of things, okay? But we have presuppositions, okay? Presuppositions about each other. That's true even when it comes to Jesus. When we, we interact with Jesus, we have presuppositions. And they come from all over the place. Our past experiences, 
everything just filters in. We have presuppositions in our dealing with each other. Now, those presuppositions guide our reactions to Jesus. Those presuppositions guide our reactions to Jesus. And you know that's true. You ever talk to somebody about Jesus and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I did the church thing, I had a terrible experience, this is what happened to me, and I'll never do that again. And you're like blown away by what they're saying, but the thought that goes through your mind is, but I'm talking about Jesus. I'm not talking to you about what happened to you at church. But in their mind, their presupposition about Jesus had to do with whatever their experience was in church, right? You've had that experience. You've gone through that. People have presuppositions, and that defines how they interact with Jesus. Now, what does that got to do with our passage today? Well, we're going to get into chapter 12. We're going to see an interaction that happens with Mary anointing Jesus' feet and the reaction to that and the reaction of other people about Jesus because he just did what? He just did the ultimate miracle. Raising somebody from the dead who's been in the grave four days. That's pretty ultimate, isn't it? There's never been another miracle like that since then. And you're going to see all of these presuppositions that are happening. And what does that reveal about that? Why are we talking? Why is John wanting us to see that? Because he wants you to see that people are at different places. And some of them cause people to reject. It's for our own good to see why are we here but also to help us to understand other people. So let's look at this together. We're going to look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, let me just go ahead and say this before I read this. When you read this very same incident in the other three Gospels, they will actually give you more detail than John does. For instance, the other three Gospels will communicate to you that Martha, the sister of Mary, wasn't happy because Mary wasn't what? Helping. Now you're going to notice when we come to this passage, John doesn't even mention that. Why? Because John wants you to focus on something else. So let's look at this together. We're going to see what he's wanting us to see, okay? Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. And for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this passage, and we're going to kind of divide it into some natural breaks here. We're going to look, first of all, at the anointing, okay? We're going to see the anointing of Jesus by Mary and what we gather that John wants us to see here. And then we're going to see the dilemma. What do you mean the dilemma? Well, it's how people are reacting. And that creates a dilemma here. So let's talk about it. So let's, first of all, let's talk about the anointing. First thing I want you to notice is this. Some are guided by their love and thankfulness for Jesus. Some people, they're guided by a presupposition of they love him, they want to experience him, and they're thankful for him. That's true with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? Especially Lazarus. You think he wasn't thankful? Yeah. And Mary and Martha, the brothers of Lazarus, yeah, they're thankful. So guess what they do? They have a feast. You know what I'm saying? And so there's Jesus. And this is the only passage that tells you that of the people who were there, there was also a guy by the name of Lazarus who was there as well. Why? Because he's hanging out with Jesus who brought him back from the dead. And Mary, what is she doing? She's anointing his feet with oil. Now, it's interesting. What she's doing is amazing because there's some different scholars that believe that maybe what she was doing is in that day, if you were not married yet, you were always in preparation for marriage. And so you were setting things aside. Have you ever heard of a hope chest? You know what a hope chest is, folks? That's, you know, people getting ready for marriage, okay? She was setting aside costly perfume that cost 300 denarii. Now, what is a denarii? What does that mean? A day's wage. So 300 days of wage worth of oil. Pretty costly, right? She takes what she was probably saving for the day when she would be betrothed and married and pours it on Jesus' feet to anoint his feet, and she does the ultimate thing, just doesn't wipe it off with a towel. She wipes it off with her hair. Why is she doing that? Because Jesus just raised her brother from the dead. Martha, what is she doing? Preparing a meal. And the issue here is what? They love him. They're guided by thankfulness and love for Jesus. And you're going to meet that when you're out there with people, right? You're going to meet people. Why are they doing what they're doing? Because they love Jesus and they're so thankful for him. Now, here's what happens. The other thing is some were guided by their selfish desires, now, remember I told you the other passages focus on Martha's reaction. Lord, tell her to come and help me. 
Okay, and I know that gets into a big, you know, I get questions all the time. One of the questions, why did the Lord tell Martha that? Wasn't Martha doing the right thing and Mary wasn't? I mean, I hear that all the time. That's another discussion. John's not worried about that discussion. John, though, takes that passage and focuses in on one guy. One guy, read with me, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Now, what's Simon? Not Simon Peter. Judas's dad was named Simon. Simon's son, who would betray him. So immediately, John's going to set us up. This guy's no good. Said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This, he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He cared about himself. Here's what we see from this passage. Okay, so we see some, they're like, it's love and thankfulness for Jesus, and that's why they're here. That's why they're, they're hanging out with Jesus. But with others, it's about their selfish desires, what they can get. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? What they can get, what they can get. Here's what I learned long ago. It doesn't take you long if you've been in church for a long for any amount of time, whether you're a pastor or just somebody who comes and sits in a pew, you realize real quick when you interact with people that people come to church for different reasons. Okay? This is, I'm just going to tell you the fact. There are people who are genuinely here because they what? Love and are thankful for Jesus, right? Yeah, but it's also equally true that there are some people who are here for what they can get from Jesus. What they can possibly get from Jesus. And I've seen it happen through the years. People have come, they're looking for Jesus. And what they're looking to God for is, God, heal my marriage. Or God, bring this child back. Or God, bring this healing in my life. Or God, do this. Or God, provide this. And usually what happens, folks, is that after a while, if God doesn't do it, I'm out of here. In fact, that's what's going to happen with Judas, right? Starting in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, they're in the upper room. Jesus starts saying stuff like, folks, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. Judas is starting to realize, wait a minute now, what, what did I sign up for? I just gave three years of my life to follow you because I thought you were going to overthrow the Romans and I'm going to rule with you. Now you're telling me the Romans are going to kill you. I'm out of here. And so he goes and what? He betrays Jesus for what? It's interesting, 30 pieces of silver. Why money? Because that's really what he's there for. I'm going to get what I can. See, you've got to understand, when it comes to Jesus, it's an issue of preference. People approach Jesus with different presuppositions about what they want from him. Some of them, they genuinely want him. And everything else doesn't matter, just so I have you, Jesus. But there are others. It's what they can get out of them. And when they don't get what they want, they're done with them. 
Here's the third thing I want you to see when we talk about the anointing. This, this is what Jesus does, and, and this is the perspective here. Sometimes we quote this passage with, with reference to situations in our society, but look at what he says. Jesus said, let her alone. So he's like telling Judas, leave her alone. She has kept this day for my burial. Jesus knows what's coming, folks. And that fragrant oil that he's been anointed with, it's for a purpose. And here's what he says. For the poor you have with you always, and we like to say that. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. Yes, it's a true statement, but that's not the focus. The focus is the next part, which says, but me you do not have always. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus stresses the divine moment over the everyday reality. The poor you have with you always. That's, a, that's an everyday reality, right? You know, I was noticing when Lori and I were down in, in Dallas visiting our, my, my son and his wife at graduation, we stayed in a hotel, and, and uh, we were only a few miles away from the campus, but man, talk about the traffic. You have to, uh, it takes forever to get from one side of, t I mean, not far at all, a few miles, and it was like taking forever. But one of the things I noticed is, and this, and this is happening all over the place, I guess, not just there in Dallas, but every underpass, it was just filled with people living there. And that's reality. That, 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 that's reality. You say, boy, boy that, and we have it right here, too. We have it right here. Where, George? Go to the sheets at 5.30 in the morning. I go there at 5.30 in the morning, and you see people, they've stayed overnight there with their drink to stay in where it was warm. This is the reality that we live in, that we always live in. Jesus says, the poor you will have always with you, right? But he's saying, look, don't focus on the present reality. Focus on the reality. For them it was, I'm only here for the moment. So focus on me. Which, by the way, that's the answer to your ladies who are hung up on Martha. Okay? Jesus wasn't really blasting her for her request to have Mary help. He was just saying, she's doing the more important thing right now. Why? Because I'm only here for the moment. It's about me. That's really what the issue is. He's not rebuking her. She's doing the right thing, but... Mary's doing something even more important. She's hanging out with me because I'm going away. And so this is the reality. The reality is live for the divine moment. And so then it goes on, and here's what happens. When you go on then now to verse 9 through 10, we're going to see, again, some more reactions here, some more presuppositions, and you're going to see what's happening. I call it the dilemma. Here, here's what it is. Verse 9 through 11, look with me, first of all, at verse 9. He says this. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there. So, wow, a lot of them were like, Jesus is here, Bethany. Okay, here it goes on. And they came not for Jesus' sake only. So some came for Jesus, but not only for Jesus, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. All right, so a couple things here. First of all, some are tr attracted to who Jesus is. 
Some of them are attracted to who he is. It just leaps out to them. I think about it. April, third week, third Tuesday in April, 1985. Went to that Bible study. Somebody told me to read the book of John. Came home, asked my dad for a Bible. We didn't have a Bible. But he had a Bible somewhere. He gave me a Bible, a King James Bible. And uh, I read the entire Gospel of John that evening. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus came out of those pages as I was reading about him. And I was attracted to him. And I gave my life. I got down on my knees that night by my bed in that house on Green Springs Drive in Columbia, South Carolina, northeast part of the county. And I said, I will follow you. I gave my life to him. And, and why? Because I was attracted to who he was. And for some of you, that's your story. Not, not, not Green Springs Drive in Columbia, South Carolina. Wherever it was, maybe here in Clearfield County, somewhere else. You were attracted to Jesus and you gave your life to him. And some are like that. But there are some others too. What do you mean there's some others? Well, some are attracted to what Jesus did. Some of them were there to see Jesus, but really what they wanted to see is, I want to see the dude who was dead for four days and now is alive. What's he look like? Is his skin okay? Is there a little bit of decomposition going on? I mean, it was curious, curiosity. Have you ever noticed when you're traveling down the road? I mean, I, we noticed this. I, I just noticed this even here in the last week, traveling down the highway, and all of a sudden the traffic gets really slow, and it's like, man, what's going on? And then you realize that over in the other four lanes is a cop got somebody pulled over and everybody's rubbernecking. So they're slowing down your lane. Why? Because people are just curious, like, what's going on? That's what's happening here, right? People didn't show up just for Jesus. They showed up because I want to see this Lazarus dude. They want to see, but not for the right reasons, right? But sadly, there are some who, I mean, it's one thing, show up because you want to see him for who he is. It's another thing to show up to see what he's done. But there are some who, well, let me read it to you. Look with me at verse 10. <clears throat> but the chief police prodded, to put Lazarus to death also. Because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Here's a guy who's dead. Four days later, he's alive. They want to kill him again. Why? To keep people from believing in Jesus. Why? Because they have a presupposition. They think Jesus is a bad guy. And their preference is, get rid of Jesus. Why? Because they've already expressed it. He's going to upset our world. And isn't that why people reject Jesus? Because if Jesus is who he is, and if Jesus says what he says, and if Jesus makes the demands that he makes, that what? 
upsets our worlds, right? So here's what I want you to see. Some were trying to eliminate Jesus and his works. Some are trying to eliminate Jesus and his works. They don't want to have anything to do with him. They just want to get rid of him. All right, so George, what do we do with this? Because, all right, if we see this issue of, an issue of preference, what does that mean for you and I? Well, let me bring it down to your level right now with a question. Why are you here? That's really what the issue is. Why are you here? Why are you attending this service? Why are you associating with the people who call themselves Kerwinsville Christian Church? Why do you even come to him? Because, I'll be honest with you, that question is the ultimate question. Because it reflects, when you answer it, who you really are. Because the options, as far as the answer, are only few. You're here because you want to know him, and you love him, and you want to get to know him even better, or you're here because you want something. The third option is, is you don't really care. You wouldn't be here, right? So which, are the, which is the option for you? Now, you don't need to answer that to me. I don't know, but you know in your heart. Why are you here? I've answered that question long ago, George. Yeah, but you have to continually answer that question. You can't coast. It's easy to go off the rails easily in your life, isn't it? To go from loving him to expecting something from him. You, do you know what I'm saying? You say, what do you mean by that, George? Well, sometimes we get that way in our relationships. Relationships start out great. Wow, I'm in love. Woo-wee, I'm in love. When you're with that person for a while, then it moves from love to expectation where you're expecting something do you know what I'm saying and that happens in our relationship with the Lord we move from where anything you do Jesus will be all right with me I just love you to where God why am I going through this why aren't you taking care of this problem why aren't you providing I feel abandoned You see the shift? Moving from, I'm here because I love you, to, why aren't you taking care of me? I have these expectations. See, that's the question. Why are you here? And we all have to answer it. I don't want to answer it right now. Fine, don't have to answer it right now but ultimately you will. 
Ultimately, you will. It's the question you can't get away from. And guess what? It'll be ultimately revealed. Was revealed with, with Judas, right? By the way, think about it. They record in the scripture, the one who betrayed Jesus. At that moment when he was asking that question, none of them thought it was him. He was good at covering. It wasn't until later. Are you good at covering? Or do you really love? That's the issue. Let me pray for you.